Hello and welcome to episode Christian Yaros of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. Well, folks, we're recording this the day before the NHL season finally kicks off and three days before the Ottawa Senators open up against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Friday. And I thought it would be a great idea to preview this crazy upcoming season. And to do that with me is TSN radio host Steve Warren. Steve, how's it going? I'm fine, Trevor. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd say a former TSN radio host, but I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course. No, and uh, you know, I, I always appreciate your work, work on TSN there. So um, I think I think that's where people would would recognize you. But obviously, you know, you've had a couple podcasts since then as well. So and you can obviously plug some of that stuff in there at the end. But yeah, you know, I'm happy to have you on for the first time. I'm sure you're not aware of of what uh, you know the history of this podcast. But I recently had my co-host step down, just sort of step back a bit. So it's good to get some some new fresh voices on here. And, you know, I'm sure you've been quite busy recently with the season starting so soon. So I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk today. And there's lots to discuss. So I want to start out with the offseason in general. And, you know, Dorian was obviously incredibly active over the past few months with uh, Evgeny Dadnov, Matt Murray, Josh Brown, Erica Branson, Derek Stepan, Alex Elchanyak, Artem Zub, Austin Watson, <laughs> Braden Coburn, Cedric Paquette, and of course, Tim Stutzla, along with the other draft picks. So a uh, huge long list. What do you think about the job that he did over the course of the offseason with these moves? Well, it was certainly, uh, you know, if you're if you're measuring the offseason in quantity, he did a hell of a job. And I think I think in seriousness, he had a very good offseason. Uh, the draft went about as well as it could. Now, it would have been hard to mess up having the number three and number five overall selections. And, uh, boy, you got to love the way things line out that way. But, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there you mentioned a number of names there. Uh, I like that they hopefully have resolved their goaltending situation. I thought the last couple of years, with all due respect to Craig Anderson and, and what he's meant to this organization since 2011, I thought the last couple of years it was below average goaltending. And hopefully Matt Murray can put aside the uh, last couple of seasons he had in Pittsburgh. A change of address hopefully uh, serves him well. And uh, yeah, I mean, the offseason in general, I liked most of it. I guess if I'm Trevor to come up with one thing where I say, I raise an eyebrow at it. Um, there might be a too too many of those veteran band aids. Like to mm, me, right now, mm-hmm. to me, that right now the roster is at a stage where it should be insulated with these veteran guys that come in for one season, not overwhelmed by them. And I feel like they're leaning more toward the overwhelmed side rather than just insulating. I mean, guys like Derek Stepan, that's going to be great. It's going to be great for kids like Tim Stutzla, and I love that because that's a quality guy. Maybe still has something left in the tank, but uh, they seem to load up to the point where they have to, well, as we saw uh, in the last 24 hours as we record this, they have to say goodbye to guys like Rudolph's Balsers to, yeah. to make room for guys like, you know, Cedric Paquette. Yeah, I certainly share your sentiment there. I I think they have really overloaded on these veteran, I, I think it's a perfect way to describe it, just these veteran uh, band-aids. And yeah, I don't know how much a guy like Austin Watson or Cedric Paquette or even Alex Galchenyuk, um, I'm, I'm not sure how much they're going to give to this team in terms of future value. Like maybe they can get that extra, you know, second or third round, fourth round pick, whatever. But yeah, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of putting a guy like Balsers on waivers. Um, and it kind of sucks too that, you know, he goes back to his original team in San Jose. But yeah, I, I, I think as long as they're going to be able to actually rotate some of these prospects in, then that should be fine. But 
just just coming back to the offseason in general as a whole, like, do you have a favorite and a least favorite move? Oh, I'd say that I really like the acquisition. I mean, if we're talking about the trade and, and free agency angle, uh, Yevgeny Dadnov's signing, I really like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I wish he was, I still wish he was five years younger, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he's still 31, still got some, you know, some game and uh, just the stats and what he's got 180 points over the last three seasons combined. Uh, that's that's the kind of thing they need because last season, you know, this was a team that you couldn't fault them very often for not putting in a, a good, honest night's effort. They just didn't have the scoring. The guys are good finish consistently, and uh, Dadnov, I think, will really help the Sens in that regard. So I certainly like that pickup, um, and one that I didn't care for. Um, again, I, I didn't really, you know, see the point of making that deal with Tampa Bay to be honest. Um, you know, I just, you know, Paquette, Coburn, uh, just more of the same, more of these, these veterans that are going to be one and done and, uh, and taking opportunity away from young guys that you haven't really had a full look at. You know, if, if you're, if you've made decisions on guys, fine, but I, I, yeah. I don't like to turn the page on these young players until you, they've actually had a good, healthy, long look as, as NHL players. So you have all these, you know, veteran band-aids, like I said earlier, that in three months from now, they're probably going to be shipped out at the deadline. Exactly. And I think in terms of Paquette and Coburn, I think it would be a lot more palatable if they, you know, were willing to put them on waivers, you know, put them on the taxi squad or, you know, even, I guess they probably wouldn't put them down in Belleville, but I guess just the taxi squad. And it seems like they weren't really willing to do that. Um, I guess just coming back to Balsers for a second, what do you think his, his future outlook is? And like, what were your... Because obviously it sounds like you were preferring to keep him. So, like, what do you think his future is in San Jose? Well, I think he's going to be a nice asset. Um, and, and my objection is not, you know, coming at it from, this guy's going to be a superstar. Right. What, what I don't like is that we never overturned that rock. Not really. What did he play, like 30, 40 games as an Ottawa senator? What yeah. I do know was that at age 23... He went down to the American Hockey League and had over a point a game in something like 35 games. So that tells me that, you know, he can score. And again, this is this is one of the biggest uh, missing ingredients with this team as, as they grow. Uh, what I what I object to is just the concept of Balsers. We, we, we say goodbye to this guy without really ever knowing what he could be. I think he certainly can be a well above average forward, a guy that conceivably could get you 50 points. Um, and maybe more, I don't know. But uh, what I don't like is that we never got a chance to get a glimpse of it really in the NHL. And uh, and I don't like doing that. Not until not until you get an opportunity. Exactly. And I agree 100% with that. I think everyone agrees that, you know, he's not going to be a star. I don't think anyone was truly expecting him to be like a top six forward. But I think maybe a middle six guy was, you know, his potential. And Steve, I think it's important to point out too, is that in his age 21 season, he was on pace for 32 points, which isn't amazing, but like that's respectable. And yeah, you're right. I, I wish they would have given him more of an opportunity. And it's really too bad that he had that injury to begin last year because it seems like he would have started the season in Ottawa. And um, I guess that was somewhat of his demise. Yeah. And, you know, I think people need to sometimes look at what the stats mean. You know, if you're talking a guy in the 30, 40 point range, you know, people kind of have that idea of like, okay, that's 
that's not bad. It's pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, if you look up and down NHL rosters, Trevor, you're looking at situations where you have guys on the second line that are well-regarded second line forwards and they're in that 40 some point range. So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's only a handful of guys who are going to get you that point of game pace. So with the salary cap, you just can't, you know, you, you, you can't keep a bunch of 80, 90 point guys around for very long. And so again, I invite anybody to go up and down rosters on, on opening day and, uh, and you'll see, yeah, you'll see three, four forwards that you're really excited about. But then after that, it thins out in a big hurry. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, like, like we're repeating here, he's not going to be a star or anything, but it's just too bad. And in a strange sense, I don't know, I have this sort of weird connection to players who are from non-traditional markets, I guess, like non-traditional countries, you know, someone from Latvia. I loved Kasper's dog events when he was, he was here in Ottawa. You know, Balsers is also Latvian as well. So, you know, anyone from like Denmark or Latvia or Austria or whatever, I just like having guys like that. So just from that aspect, like, you know, um, having someone a bit different is, uh, it's too bad that he's, he's gone. Maybe Balsers had one of those crazy penalty shot moves like Dog yeah. did where he puts the, the, the toe of his stick right on top of the puck and does the, the ringette thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, it's unfortunate. I probably uh, – and Balsers was a guy. Like everybody that went on waivers, uh, you look at uh, Yaros and Schlopik, I think some fans would have looked at those guys had they been claimed by somebody. Uh, there would have been some level of angst, but not for me. Uh, Balsers was the guy. Balsers was the yeah. guy I was most interested in um, because I didn't feel like he'd necessarily had the opportunity. And uh, when you when you can put those kinds of points up in the American Hockey League, that tells me there's potential there. And uh, so that was the one that I was hoping that wouldn't get claimed. And sure enough, he was. For sure. Yeah, agreed on all, all points there. Now, if you had to just give a grade for Dorian over the offseason, what would you give him? I would give him... Uh, probably he was going to be an A and then he made that Tampa deal and, and, and just kept bringing in these veterans. So yeah, I'd roll him in at a B plus. Uh, I think everything else went really, really well. Um, again, I loved, uh, I loved the draft. I think, uh, you know, some of these marginal guys like an Austin Watson, you know, this is a team that's going to need a little, you know, a little extra toughness with the loss of guys like Borowiecki and Sabrin. Uh, you need guys who can be physical out there. Uh, I'm a huge fan of a little bit of intimidation. I find, you know, when defensemen are retrieving in their own end and they're looking over their shoulder, that makes them a lesser defenseman on that night. Uh, I found in the last couple of years, there was too many nights where defensemen, the opposing defensemen, weren't feeling that way. They were feeling comfortable going back to get the puck, easily turn, make that outlet pass, breaking out. And so that 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 kind of player, uh, I'm glad mm -hmm. that uh, that they addressed that somewhat. So... And they also brought in a little more edge on the de on the defense with guys like uh, Good Branson and Josh Brown, a little more size. So, and, and let's be honest, with the number of kids, um, I don't care how tough these kids are, they're still kids at the end of the day. And so uh, they're going to need some insulation physically as well. Yeah, and it seemed like that was their priority number one in the offseason, just sort of getting tougher and tougher to play against, I guess. That's kind of been the, uh, the narrative going along here. It's interesting to talk about these things because... Um, I would definitely be lower on the offseason. Like, I would give him maybe a C plus. But then again, like, if you look at the definitions of the grade, C plus is satisfactory. That's, like, average, right? So I, I'm definitely a bit lower on, on some of the acquisitions. I loved 
Evgeny Dadnov. Um, I like the risk in taking Matt Murray. So there's some good and some bad, but um, I think now well, I think if I can jump in, I think yeah, yeah. part of my grade is colored by when you ask me, you know, as an, maybe as an organization, maybe I drop my grade down. If I'm talking about one guy, one guy in a job and all the circumstances that go with that job, which includes a very, very frugal owner, um, you know, because yes. obviously if, if, he's got, if he's got a, you know, a, a blank checks to write to everybody, then, you know, maybe I judge him in a different manner. I'd look through a different set of glasses, but Eugene Melnick is what he is. He's a frugal owner and uh, maybe he'll, you know, he'll spend the cap unparalleled success and all that within the next <laughs> year or two as promised. But in the meantime, he's not doing that. And uh, so Pierre Dorian is on a, on a budget and, so for that reason, uh, I give him more of a probably a higher mark than I might otherwise. You know what I will, I will say, Steve, about Doran is that he's probably the hardest working GM in the league. Like I did an article uh, a couple weeks ago talking about I did some research into how often GMs make trades per year. And Doran's the third most active trading GM. He averages just over 10 per year. And, you know, you look at how small the front office is. Right. And I just it seems like he does so much work and he doesn't have a lot of people around him. He has, you know, Peter McTavish as the AGM, but the, the actual front office is pretty small. So just in terms of that, I have a lot of respect for him at least. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any question that uh, that's been a, con a consideration for a number of seasons. And I would add to that, that um, Eugene Melnick at his heart is a massive hockey fan and he is hands-on. Um, you're not going to see press releases with his comments on the latest acquisition, but he is engaged. He is a guy that I would argue probably looks over Pierre Dorian's shoulder more than most owners in the league do, uh, because I believe that Eugene Melnick uh, fancies himself as a hockey guy uh, on top of being a kajillionaire or whatever the number's at. Um, and so I think that adds to, um, let's call it a, a challenging position. Yeah, that Pierre Dorian's had to deal with and that uh, it's a frugal owner, but it's also an involved owner. Sometimes that, that can be fine, but I think we can agree that more often than not, that uh, that makes things a little more challenging. Certainly, certainly. Now, as we touched on before, it seems like this season is going to be the most crowded we've ever seen in terms of a roster construction perspective, as honestly, there's probably like a team and a half worth of players fighting for just one team's worth of spots. And, you know, we saw guys on waivers yesterday and we've seen the, the full roster released just recently, about an hour ago. But I, I kind of wanted to talk about some of the lineup construction and how you think it'll play out. So let's just go position by position. So start with left wing. Do you think it's going to be ordered any differently than Kachuk, Stutzla, Galchanyuk, and Paul? Or is there going to be some, some mixing, do you think? Well, I think they're... Looking at maybe Paquette on the left wing as well. Um, I don't know enough about Cedric Paquette to say whether or not I object to it. Um, certainly, uh, you brought in Alex Galchenyuk. There's a guy that well, not that long ago was putting up 50-point seasons in the league. Mm -hmm. He's obviously been dread for the last couple. And uh, just the salary that he uh, and it, you know, there's a free agent. And that's what you, you know, one-year contract with just over a million dollars. That speaks volumes to what your agent was uh was able to get for you and what the league thinks of you at this time, but I'm still interested. Um, you know, he's again, change of address can sometimes serve a guy well. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that he's part of that, that left wing mix. Um, yeah, that's exactly how I would 
lay it out with maybe the exception of Cedric Paquette getting some looks on the left side as well. But uh, you can't argue with that one-two punch of Kachuk and Stutzla. That could be really exciting. Stutzla will take a little while to get going, but that could be really exciting really soon. Right. And we've saw, I think, was it last night or I'm mixing up my days, but I think it was last night with the scrimmage, um, you know, Kachuk and Stutzla were both in the top six there. So you're right. If, if they can stay there for most, if not all the season, you know, fans are going to absolutely eat that up. So now moving to center, I think there's a lot more up in the air there. Um, you know, we saw that Josh Norris has made the opening night roster. I don't know if he's actually, actually going to be in the lineup or if he's going to be the 13th forward, but how do you think DJ Smith is going to handle that? Well, I think Josh Norris gets first dibs. Hopefully his defense is a little better or his care of the puck is a little better than it was in that scrimmage. Um, I don't know if you saw the Michael Haley goal, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Josh Norris tries this odd little back pass with a guy that's uh, basically right in his hip pocket and gives up the puck and that leads uh, almost directly to the goal. A lot of things happen on that play. It was a moment of calamity <laughs> uh, for the Sens on that shift. But uh, yeah, I think they really like Josh Norris. And I don't blame them in the three games that I saw last year. Obviously, I have nothing to draw from other than a couple of highlights that Brent Wallace put out. Um, I think uh, those three games that I saw with Josh Norris, it was a little like the Stutzla effect. Uh, just so noticeable on every single shift that he was out there. He's got, uh, and, and DJ Smith talked about it a little bit, guy's got an engine that goes all day. Of all the centers they have right now, he's the one that can really get up and down the ice. And uh, there'll be some growing pains, obviously. There's a, there's a lot of inexperience there. But, you know, I, I went into this training camp thinking to myself that if I was coaching this team, Josh Norris would probably be the guy that I'd be tagging as my number one center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting because they really don't have that guy yet. You know, I think Stepan is probably going to be getting some of those top six minutes. It seems like they sort of want him to be that mentor in the top six, I guess. Um, but, you know, you look at the other guys, Colin White, Chris Tierney, Cedric Paquette, Artem Anisimov, like no one really profiles as that first line center. So I think if Norris does get that opportunity, that would be just fantastic for, um, I think, for the team long term, but also just for fans being able to watch that. Where do you think Logan Brown fits in here? Because he obviously didn't make the opening night roster. Is he ever going to get a chance to break in there? It doesn't seem like it. Um, and I, I, it's probably a familiar theme that I've got going here, Trevor, but it's a bit of a frustration to me, particularly in a year where you're going to have, I don't know, half your roster is going to be shipped out at the deadline in three months. Just keep in mind, that's yeah. only three months away, um, that you're not giving opportunity to some of these guys. Like, this is the year to do that. This is the year to go all mad scientists, get guys in the lineup, try them out, give them good long looks in there. Logan Brown has scored at every level. Um, and, and I, I would not want to part company with Logan Brown uh, until I find out if he can do it at the NHL level. He's never going to be the prettiest skater. We all know that, but he's never been a pretty skater, not at any level, but he has scored at every level. And that's the hardest thing there is to do in the game. So, um, if that guy, you know, goes and lurches around the ice all night, not particularly a great skater, I don't care. Um, but that would be something I would regret if they decide to turn the page on this guy. Before, um, before seeing what he can really do, getting a really long look with good line mates. And I'm not talking about going up and, as the Sens have tended to do with uh, some of these skill guys, give them, oh, you'll throw them in the fourth line. What, you're not scoring? How dare you? You're down on the yeah, line. exactly. That's ridiculous to me. So um, it certainly seems like they're not real uh, big on him. That's, that's five training camps that have come and gone 
And um, I think there was one that he got in there uh, but didn't stick. So uh, there's something about Logan Brown that they see where they don't even want to give him the opportunity to have a good long look. They just think uh, at this stage he's still not NHL ready. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and it's a bit strange. Like, to me, he probably has the highest potential out of any of their centers. You know, he also probably has a low floor as well, just because, you know, some of that skating you're mentioning. And pretty much like every year since he's been drafted, he's had some injury troubles. And, you know, that's a lot of bad luck. It's not always his fault or anything, but he's going to have to stay healthy. Um, But you're right. Like, it's a bit frustrating to see that, you know, you hope that he's going to get that opportunity because... Last year, he actually played pretty solid. Like, the the point totals weren't there. But, you know, he when he was out on the ice, he was outchancing the other team. He had so many barely missed goals. Like, he had a couple that were just right on the line or barely missed or a couple posts and stuff like that. So, I feel like if just a couple more shots had gone in, I think people's perception of him might have actually changed a bit. Yeah. And let's have a look. You know, let's give this guy a good long look. And, uh, and, and obviously the, you know, special teams has been terrible, uh, for a long time now. And, uh, I I feel fully confident that this guy is going to help the power play if he ever gets the opportunity to do so maybe five on five, he's, uh, you know, not the elite skater out there, but he'd certainly chip in there, but it's on the power play. Um, and certainly this team could use help on the power play where I think, uh, he'll help the, if he ever gets a chance, he'll help them capitalize on some of these man advantages. Yeah, no, exactly. I think he would be a huge asset there. And I think even just like looking long term, you know, I could envision him having a good role, even on like a third line, like a sheltered third line role where he's also a power play specialist. So he'd get a bit more time on the power play there, you know, maybe behind Josh Norris and Stutzla if if he goes to center. But I really just... Just with what the narrative is right now, I honestly can't see him sticking with the Senators beyond, like, August. Well, hey, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to object to that take because it's been five camps. And yep. uh, there's something about him that, that's beyond, in their opinion, that's just beyond, uh, you know, a slight skating deficit where they simply don't even want to give him the opportunity and see what that looks like, a, a good long look, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I can't object to anybody who says that maybe his uh, time with the Ottawa Senators, uh, the old hourglass may be running out. But you never know. On, on the positive side for Logan Brown, he is still in a position where he's on the taxi squad, where he's uh, he is waiver exempt, so he can flip up and down as much as they need to do that. So that's a mm-hmm. good thing. Uh, injury, um, you know, guys underachieving. I certainly see a lot of guys in that forward core that are replaceable. So maybe opportunity is still there. It's worse for the guys that didn't even make the taxi squad when you think about them because uh, they know right away that, you know what, I know exactly, as opposed to other years, I know exactly where I am in the depth chart, and that's not close to the NHL. And what's mm-hmm. worse, I can't go down to the minors right now or to back to junior or whatever. I can't do those things because 
those leagues aren't playing right now. Maybe I go off to Europe or something. I don't know. It seems to me they'd be limited positions in Europe available right now. But uh, yeah, that's not ideal right now to be not even making the taxi squad in this weird season. Yeah, exactly. And and I think it just boils down to, I would just love to see one of Norris or Brown, you know, sort of cement themselves in the lineup this season, because I think that would be huge for the team moving forward, just having a a good center to rely on, whether it's first or second line. But so, yeah, I, I would say that center is probably the most interesting position, especially at forward. But moving to right wing, though, I think it's pretty obvious, at least to me, having Dadnov, Brown, Batherson, and Watson. Like, do you think there could be any changes to that at all? Hmm. No, I don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really, I mean, I don't see a ton there. Um, yeah, that, that, that would be the four that I think that, I mean, Austin Watson is the only guy that, I mean, I don't know Austin Watson well enough yet to, to really formulate an opinion of the guy. I know he's big and I know he's physical and I know he can drop him. But, I mean, how can you do better than a <laughs> a top three right wing of Brown, Dadinov, Batherson? That's, uh, that's pretty deep. And so mm-hmm. there's certainly nobody that I see below them right now. Um, you know, maybe Colin White. I don't know. Uh, everybody says that, uh, you know, that's a centerman, but uh, maybe he's better off on the, on the wing. Um, so there's, there's certainly options, but those are the four I'd certainly start the year with. Yeah, for sure. I like... I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do move white to, to right wing just for a bit to experiment with that. But, um, and then, you know, maybe a guy like, uh, Vitaly Abramov, but I, I don't think he's going to get too much time there this season. But yeah, like you said, certainly a deep right wing, much deeper than previous years. Like when they had, you know, Bobby Ryan was, uh, you know, one of their top two right wingers. So, but moving to defense, the left side is certainly a lot more packed than the right who should slash will be slotting in behind Thomas Shabbat on the second and third pairings? I was kind of hoping that it was going to be Eric Brandstrom. This is the guy that they brought in for Mark Stone, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, just, yes, <laughs> I really thought that was going to be uh, a guy I'd get the opportunity, but uh, I know he likes the right side, but uh, he is a left shot. Uh, I was hoping that he would be right there but I mean uh, I don't know on the left side I certainly love Christian Willanen. Um we had a very good scrimmage uh, really unfortunate that he missed a whole year of development almost with that shoulder injury this time last year but I think that guy is uh, a lot better than people realize uh, he, yeah. he's got some things to figure out defensively but you know what so does Thomas Shabbat um, I know it would be probably a controversial take but uh, I think they're very similar players. Uh, I don't think he has uh, the jets that Shabbat does. He's not as fluid a skater, but they're very similar players in my opinion. And uh, I, I, people think, you know, Willanen's a couple of years older, in fact, but uh, that year of development would have been great. And uh, it's playing in his own end. Um, Shabbat get, can get the swimming around out there, and uh, Willanen can too. But I really see them as similar players, and uh, I hope that Willanen gets a lot of good looks this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I, I'm a huge fan of Willan, and I think he's probably like their second best defenseman right now, just because there isn't a whole lot of other other guys that you could honestly put in that second spot. But yeah, you're right. It's I was going to mention too that he's he's two years older than Shabbat. It's kind of kind of strange. But and then for the third pairing, would you put Mike Riley or do you think Coburn is going to get some uh, some rotations in there? 
Well, it wouldn't be wouldn't be ideal for either guy, in my opinion, at this stage. Uh, Coburn is kind of lumbering, really honestly. I haven't seen a ton of him, to be honest. Uh, but I, what I have seen of him, I say that's a guy that's you know, as the NHL got smaller and quicker and more skilled on the blue line, seemed like Coburn was from a bygone era, if you will. So I'm not a big fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, I mean, I, the game changed and sometimes uh, when it changes, uh, some guys aren't right for the, the new game. Um, so of the two, I like Mike Riley better, but, uh, and I, th- I would certainly think Riley would be the guy because uh, the Sens seem to love him. And I'm not sure I necessarily buy into that. Um, I think again, uh, Shabbat, Brandstrom and Willannon on the left side would be my preference. But uh, they certainly seem to like my, Mike Riley, so I think that uh, it'll be Riley over Coburn all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's how, how it'll play out as well. And I agree that it would be nice to see Brandstrom at least a bit at some point this season. I think he could probably benefit from a bit of time in Belleville, but you know, you certainly hope that by next season he'd be able to be a full-time regular. So hopefully this year can be a bit of a tune-up for him. Now moving to the right side, that's got to be the weakest in the entire league like the weakest right side defense do you think there's any way to optimize the players that they have there well I think that that's something that maybe you're looking at I don't know you, you address that at the deadline something like I just I agree with you um I hate to speak ill of a of a good local boy but Eric Branson <laughs> is not a number like a number one pairing and that seems to be where they fancy him being able to handle I just uh I I think anybody who has really watched him over the last five years even they would say well at this stage of the game we know what he is and he's a pretty decent five six defenseman um a a number one pairing he is way way ill suited to that Nikita Zaitsev I know that people are really sour on him and uh I'm not a fan yet but uh you know Again, a good a good five six, I think, and uh, Josh Brown, same kind of thing. So, when you talk about that right D being the weakest part of the team, I don't think there's any question about that. I think you have, mm-hmm. with all due respect, I, I always feel like I'm you know insulting guys, and I feel badly. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm asked <laughs> to assess something, and the three defensemen they have would fit in nicely, very tidy fit into a five six role, but you can't have three of those guys in your top six. No, and it seems like they, yeah, they, they sort of all profile as that same 5'6 guy, like you were saying. I think Josh Brown is someone that's a bit interesting for me. I remember looking into some of his numbers, and he had, I forget exactly where he was, but he was in, in like the top five in the league in terms of drawing penalties. Um, you know, he also took a fair amount as well, but it seems like he could, you know, maybe be, I don't know if, if he'd be good enough to play with Shabbat, but I think he could end up being like somewhat valuable on the second pairing. And then even you have someone like Artem Zub, who is going to be, I don't even think he's on the taxi squad. Is he? Can you correct me on that? I believe he is actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So like even like someone like Artem Zub, do you think he's ever going to, you know, get a shot like in the top four or something? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I've not seen Zub play yet. Um, only KHL highlights. That's all I got. And uh, yeah, yeah I, th- I certainly... I'm not not that I know a lot about them. I know that they like them a lot. There was obviously some. Uh, I, I shouldn't go too deep on that because if there was this big massive interest around the league when he was available as a free agent, 
then he'd probably have uh, gotten better offers than I think less than a million dollars. Uh, so I don't know that there was that much interest, but I know they like him. And if he replaces one of the top three that they have right now on the right side, it wouldn't be a tough act to follow. I'm sure they'll audition him. Um, and you've also got, you know, we mentioned Brandstrom before playing on his, on the, on the wrong side. He likes playing over there. Uh, the team right. doesn't seem to like to do that, but when you're dealing with this, um, I can't imagine why they won't experiment with that. And Christian Yaros, I think, is a guy that was pretty highly regarded in the organization. But I think when DJ Smith rolled into town, I don't think he was as big a fan because the way Pierre Dorian talked to me about Christian Yaros, like he was elated about the guy's size, hmm. amazing skater. I remember watching back in, uh, was might have been two camps ago, um, just watching when Alex Formanton tried to chip the puck in past him as he entered the offensive zone with Yaros defending, Yaros pivoted and retrieved. The speed in which he did that against Formanton, who's in full speed, and we know him to be, of course, one of the faster guys in all of the NHL, it was phenomenal to watch. Christian Yaros has fantastic wheels. So I think he's physically ready to rumble in the NHL, just between the ears, I think. And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like he has the faith of DJ Smith at this stage. Right. And it's it's interesting that you bring that up because there was also the minor Max Lejoie trade earlier as well. And he seems like someone that um, DJ probably wasn't super high on as well. So, you know, two guys drafted in back-to-back seasons that are probably like, I, I don't know if they really have, well, obviously Lejoie doesn't anymore, but um, even Yaros, I don't know what his future holds with this team to be honest but yeah I, I will say that like you know we talked about five guys on that right side so hopefully they can have somewhat of a rotation like I hope that good Branson doesn't get all the time with Thomas Shabbat on that first pairing because you know n- none of these guys realistically are going to be good enough on a first pairing but you might as well move some guys around see what you got because maybe you could have one of them that's that's at least solid on the second pairing, I'd say. Sure. I mean, it's all this big jambalaya of decision-making. It's uh, There's all kinds of things you can do, and um, everything will be done, though, with an eye on what's best for the kids, and uh, and that'll mm-hmm. include, you know, putting some guys into the lineup that, uh, you know, may, may, may not be quite ready for prime time, but yeah, I mean, I'd certainly, I mean, everything's open for discussion. Everything is just an experiment at this point. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the nature of this entire season because nobody's expecting them. I know we're going to talk about that later. Nobody's expecting much from the Sens. Uh, there's hardly anybody mm-hmm. who thinks they won't finish dead last. And so, yeah, I mean, try anything. Uh, everything is on the table at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And lastly, for the positions, we have Matt Murray and Marcus Hogberg in goal. What are you expecting from that tandem? Well, it's going to be Matt Murray's net for the foreseeable future because it looks very bad in the organization if he's not a, uh, a star. Um, mm-hmm. But from what I've heard at camp, Marcus Hogberg has been pretty much Matt Murray's equal, which is a which is a good thing. Um, but, you know, at the same time, Hogberg should uh, settle in because he's going to be wearing a ball cap on a lot of nights. This is Matt Murray's net. He's getting paid serious money, and uh, my expectations are that he'll be fine. Um, I, I say that with a bit of wishful thinking, I'm sure, but this is a scenario where 
maybe things got stale in Pittsburgh. Um, he was being uh, chased at a guy kind of looking over his shoulder and uh, Tristan Jari eventually took that net over last year in Pittsburgh. And, and maybe that doesn't agree with Matt Murray. Uh, now he knows he's the guy. He comes to a new situation. He feels like he's a leader. He feels like he's one of the guy, uh, the main guys on this team. And, uh, and hopefully that is a headspace that agrees with him and, uh, and he can be fantastic for the entirety of his contract. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And I think it's a bit of a risk taking him on, but it's one that's at least intriguing and, and certainly could have a big payoff. Uh, I think he probably won't be as good as he could be this season just because, you know, we were talking about the decor and it's not, it's not that great. So I'd be kind of surprised if he, you know, has one of his better seasons, but I think he could be around league average maybe. Yeah. And that's the great thing uh, or the tough thing I should say about being a goalie in that uh, at the end of the day, it's a team game. And you, you just, Mm -hmm. you tell me who's your, tell me right now who, like if you had uh, like money's not an object, you can pick any goalie you want. Who would that be? (laughs) Who would that be in the entire NHL to come in and play goal for the Ottawa Senators? Oh, I mean, like at this point, you say Hellebuck, but in a year, it could be, you know, a year ago, I might've said John Gibson. I was a huge John Gibson fan. And then he has a brutal season. Right. And, and part of that is just what's going on in front of you. So if, if Hellebuck's your guy, you bring him in a, into the Ottawa Senators right now with the defense we just talked about, with all due respect, <laughs> you're looking at a half a goal shaved off of, uh, of your goals yeah. against. You're looking at 20 points coming off your save percentage. So that's, the, you know... Matt Murray doesn't have to compete with um, Matt Murray, who won two Stanley Cups. Uh, Matt Murray only has to compete at the moment with uh, Craig Anderson and Anders Nielsen, who've uh, who've now left the organization. Um, he just needs to deliver a little more stability than those guys were able to deliver. And honestly, that that's, means everything. Um, it might be just one or two big saves that no one thought you were going to make that could turn a game around. I found too often last season whether it was uh, Anderson or Nielsen, Hogberg, although I think Hogberg was uh, maybe the best of the three, um, that leaky goal would just deflate a team. And uh, when you're a young mm-hmm. team like that, you can't, you really can't absorb that the way a veteran team can. So anyway, that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, if Matt Murray lives up to that contract. Certainly, yeah. And, you know, he has those four years and hopefully – you know, it, it, at least during that, those four years, Ottawa can be a playoff team and, and maybe even a contender, but we'll see. Um, is it four years or is it three years? I'm not. Four maybe, years. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That, that is a, I was thinking <laughs> it was three years for some reason. It's a risky one for sure, but it's, yeah, it's intriguing at least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So every year there are players who over or underperform expectations heading into the season, into the season. Who is one player that you think can be a good surprise for the Senators and one player that you think will fail to live up to some of their expectations? Hmm, I hate to think about failure like that. It's almost like, it's <laughs> my pick and I'm going to be cheering for that guy to fail all year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, let's, let's look at some of the guys. Um, I really think that Galchenyuk has shown us what he is at this stage. And uh, just I know they didn't invest a lot in him, but there's one guy that pops to mind. They're excited enough to bring him in um, and uh, see if there's anything, any tread left on those tires. Uh, I think that we're going to look at him and go, what happened to that guy? Um, <laughs> so not a massive failure, but that would be one guy I might look at. And uh, and one guy, hmm, who might surprise this year? Um, 
That's a great question. Um, I'm going to go with Nick Paul. I'm going to say that he finds his offensive strut. There was a moment last mm-hmm. year where he started to look to me like a guy who, because physically we know he's there. You know, his skating's pretty decent. And what a shot. What I mean, what a release. I feel like that that guy finally has, after all these years, finally mentally figured out that I belong in the NHL. Like, I'm, I'm a good hockey player. And I feel like that he's probably got a little more offense in him than people think. So, you know, I, I could see him taking a, getting a 15 point spike to his totals, maybe 15 to 20, mm. um, because I do think there's something there. Uh, so I'll go with Nick Paul as my potential surprise. What about you? Okay. I like that. Um, oh, I just want to touch on Paul for a second too. I don't know if you remember but do you remember that goal he scored against the sharks last year? Um, high slot wires one. Uh, it, it was, I, I can't even remember the specifics of it, but I just remember going, wow, that was an amazing goal. I think he came down the wing and like roofed it top corner or something. Um, there was a couple of those. And uh, that was the one that, yeah. that just the, the release, the snapshot. Oh yeah. Um, it just, uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely got a special release and um, yeah, I, I think there's, you know, maybe there's more there than we think. And it's taken a while to get here. And then the organization is lucky to have him. You know, you, you look at Rudolph's Balsers getting claimed off waivers the first time they put him there. Nick Paul, I think, went up and down on waivers like about, I'm yeah. not, I might have been in double digits by the time all was said and done. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I think it's interesting too. I doubt this trio would get a chance in the NHL, but, you know, the trio of Nick Paul, Logan Brown, and Drake Batherson did phenomenal in Belleville. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of wonder if Paul, like you're saying, can sort of, you know, up his point totals a bit and maybe he's, instead of a fourth line player, maybe he's, he's a third line guy can put up, you know, f- maybe even 40 points in a, in a full season. So yeah, I think he, ha- he definitely has a bit more in the tank. I would go for my pick. See, I don't really want to pick a, like a young prospect or something because I feel like we already have such high expectations for some of these guys, you know, like Stutzla, you know, everyone's expecting him to be fantastic. So I'll go with the guy I talked about earlier with Josh Brown. I think he might end up being, you know, the, the best right shot D on the team, which isn't saying much, but I think he'll be a, a solid contributor on that right side. And I think in terms of someone to, I guess, I don't want to say, you know, fail to live live up to expectations like like I was uh, phrasing it earlier, but I think the other Brown, Logan, might, not necessarily because of his play, I think he might sort of get squeezed out of the roster and, you know, maybe he only plays 10, 15 games and then this is his last season. So I could certainly see that happening, although it might not even necessarily because he plays horribly, just you know, maybe they prefer a guy like Josh Norris instead. Yeah, I mean, uh, I wonder if he'll get any opportunity at all this year. They obviously like him enough to keep him around um, on the uh, – we're talking Logan Brown. We've got a lot of Browns here, right? Yes, yes, Logan. Exactly. There's three. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think he's uh, in a situation where, uh, you know, he's going to have to hope for a little bit of uh, underachieving going on on the roster. He's going to have to open hope for, a, for an injury of some sort. But uh, – you know, I, I really do think that um, maybe they experiment, they, they shoehorn him in somehow, maybe they try him on the wing because uh, there's a lot of skill there. And as I said earlier, I, I'd, I'd certainly hate for them to turn the page on him without getting a reasonable look at him 
with reasonable line mates. I, I don't want to see him mm-hmm. rolling out there um, with uh, Austin Watson and Cedric Paquette and, and then bitching and moaning because he didn't put up any points, <laughs> right? He, I mean, yeah. yeah if you're going to give him an opportunity and a first rounder has the pedigree that, uh, that makes him worth that opportunity, uh, worth kicking the tires on, uh, make sure that you give him a, a decent chance before you turn the page. Certainly, certainly. Okay, so I want to do a little exercise here with over-unders. It's just going to be rapid fire. So, you know, we don't need to discuss one each one afterwards. Um, just tell me whether you think it'll be over or under. Uh, and we got eight of them here. You ready, Steve? Yep. Okay. Tim Stutzla points 31.5, which translates to 45.5 in a full season. Over or under? Over. Okay, I like it. Logan Brown games played 24.5. Over. Okay. Matt Murray save percentage 912. Over. Okay. League rank in goals per game 23.5. So last year, for reference, they were 25th. Um, and over would be worse, under would be better. Um, under. Under, okay. League rank in goals against per game. So last year they were 30th, um, and I'm going to put it at 26.5. I'm going with over. Okay. Drake Batherson points, 34.5, which translates to 50.5 in a full season. Over. Oh, I like it. I'm optimistic. Brady Kachuk goals. Sorry? I'm optimistic, aren't I? I like it. I like it. Uh, Brady Kachuk goals, 19.5. That translates to 29.5 in a full season. Under. Okay. And then lastly, team points, 51.5. That translates to 75.5 in a full season. Over. Okay. Now, can I get... Is there an actual number you have in mind for their team points? Um, let's see. Um, I mean, I think that this is a team that can be hovering, you know, in that 80 point mark, if we're playing a full 82 games, mm-hmm. so, you yeah. know, extrapolate that however you want. But I do think that, uh, and, and I've been saying this for a while, I feel, I'm one of the few guys that actually is saying, you know what, not last in the, in that North division mm-hmm. or division or whatever you want to call it. So I do think that they're going to take some strides forward this year, despite what they have on the blue line. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, I think that they can, whatever that works out to get to around 80 points in a, in a full season. Okay. And that's a good segue just to our, our last couple questions here, just to, talking about the all Canadian division. So to me, it seems like so many teams are just very similar. You know, they all have some good players, but they're all pretty flawed. How do you see it shaking out then if Ottawa isn't finishing last? Who will be dead last or, or just the entire division? Sure. Just, yeah, I guess entire division too, yeah. Well, I hate to say it, but Toronto looks very good on paper. They seem to have uh, yeah. addressed their needs, um, especially on the blue line. Uh, when you look at Brody and uh, Bogosian thrown into the mix, and then you, you fire in a healthy Jake Muzzin who got hurt in the playoffs, um, that's that's definitely addressed a need. And then you have the leadership void, which we've talked, uh, you know, which everybody's talked about. Um, they seem to have addressed that with Thornton and Simmons. And uh, I, I, I hate the Leafs, as most would know, uh, but I think that they're the best team. 
And then after that, I think that uh, there's a lot of good. Um, I don't know that I see contenders after that necessarily, but there's a mm-hmm. lot of good. Um, and uh, I would probably, I mean, I like a Vancouver maybe in that number two slot. Um, you know, they've got uh, they've got some real talent up front and Horvat and Besser, Patterson. Um, and I like that they've, you know, they've got uh, Nate Schmidt back there as well with young Quinn Hughes. So I think that, uh, and, and, you know, they've, they've bolstered their goaltending as well with, uh, with Braden Holpe. So in the second spot, I like Vancouver. Then we'd probably look at a Winnipeg, Calgary, uh, that the, the Montreal, I think is, I know they've made some additions, Josh Anderson. I love that deal. Um, and, uh, Tyler Toffoli. So, I, but I don't think, mm-hmm. You know, depth-wise, I don't love the Montreal Canadiens where I say they're absolutely going to finish ahead of Ottawa. I don't know. I'm not sure about them. Uh, so I'd probably have them uh, lower on the depth chart. Um, and you know what? Slot Edmonton in right after Vancouver in the number three spot. I think I've covered off the north. Mm, yeah, that, it, it's going to be such a fascinating division because there's teams that, you know, a team like the Canucks, I could easily fe- see them finishing second because of those guys that you mentioned, Patterson, Hughes, Horvat, Besser, all these guys. But I could also see them finishing sixth because, you know, if Demko isn't able to to properly replace Markstrom. So, and and pretty much all of those teams besides Toronto, I could see, and it, I could see them finishing sixth. Um, and then, yeah, you, you got a team like Ottawa who, you know, perhaps Matt Murray you know, returns to his best form. Perhaps Tim Stutzla is like rookie of the year. And then, then you never know. Like, and then it's a 56 game season. Maybe they even squeak in the playoffs. Like I wouldn't count on that, but the fact that it's a shortened season, you know, it's certainly more, more likely than it would be in a full season. I'm not going to count on it, but some weird things are going to happen this year, like in at least one division. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it happens every year. I mean, you look, you, you go out, as an exercise, you know, check out whatever, you know, the hockey news, whatever you grab for your NHL preview and you see all the, the prognostications and you'll just be blown away by all the predictions that, that went sideways. And that, that includes individuals and it certainly includes teams, teams that uh, I think it was, um, you know, I think a lot of people probably were thinking, oh, San Jose boy, that's not a bad yeah. team there. And then what happened to them <laughs> last year was an absolute disaster. Who had them finishing where they did, uh, you know, particularly with some of the pickups like an Eric Carlson? No one would have thought that they would be a lottery team. That would seem impossible at the start of last year. So that's just an example. And I got to think that there'll be somebody in the North that does something similar and uh, gives the Sens with a small spike in their production an opportunity to not be in last. It's not exactly the best motto to get Sens fans excited. Ooh, there's a chance they might not be last this year. <laughs> the marketing team yeah. didn't pick that up or anything, but um, you know, it's all about hope. And I think that's really what you can sell with this team now for the first time in many years since the 2017 run. Now you can finally legitimately, honestly sell hope to your fan base. Mm-hmm. And so your, your answer here might just kind of repeat what you just said there. But last question for me, if you could just sum up, what you think the 2021 season will be in like one sentence for the senators, what would that be? Uh, yeah, I probably would go to that card again, that um, it will be a season that uh, fans can now get a, a new feel that a new era, a new chapter has actually begun. And mm-hmm. 
hope has been restored. Hopefully the caretakers, ownership and management take care of that hope and, and foster it <laughs> and don't wreck it. Um, and I, and I have some level of confidence that, that, that will not, that they, that will not accrue. They won't wreck it, that they'll keep moving forward with this thing. But, uh, yeah, um, just, uh, a lot of hope going into this new season with uh, a lot of exciting young players. I like that a lot. Just a lot of interesting, fun players to watch. Should be a lot of, you know, just having any Ottawa games to watch will be fantastic. So, but yeah, I think that'll do it for today. But before we sign off, is there anything you want to plug, Steve? Yeah, I've got some podcast properties that uh, that I'd love to plug. Um, if, uh, if you're enjoying this Sends podcast, we've also got... Uh, from my perspective, you got the Sens Nation podcast. Uh, you can find that at sensnationhockey.com. And uh, I've got a, a show that goes off every weekday that I do with my old co-host, Jim Jerome, called the Steve Warren Project. You can find that one at stevewproject.com, which is more about um, pop culture and general sports. It includes the Sens as well, but uh, the, the Sens Nation podcast is more, obviously, by the name, more Sens-specific. So those are my two, uh, two properties, mm-hmm. and I thank you for the chance to plug them. Yeah, so check those out. Um, Well, thanks so much for coming on, Steve, and hopefully you can enjoy the beginning of the season here. You too. Thanks for the opportunity, Trevor. Uh, It's always nice to exchange uh, uh, sports and sends takes on Twitter with you, and uh, hopefully we can do this again. Oh, yeah, of course. Thanks again, Steve. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cosper Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at Silver7Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CPPointCast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. Hockey's here, folks. Get excited. Adios.